Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Blackwood Show. The Black, the Black, the Black, Black. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Blackwood Show. I'm Taylor Blackwood. As you might guess, this is my show. I'm excited. This is actually my first time doing a podcast ever. So this is the very first recording, uh, very first time I've tried anything like this, and I'm really excited about it. Something I've thought about doing this for a while, uh, getting to share some ideas, make everyone deal with me. No, but uh, getting some of my ideas out there, getting some conversations started, getting to share some expertise. Hopefully, you know, for for whatever it's worth. And I'm getting excited, man. I'm really excited to get to talk to you guys. I really appreciate you tuning in. I know there's a ton of ways to entertain yourself, not the least of which are a bunch of great podcasts. So the fact that you're taking time to talk to little old me to listen to me, I really, really appreciate that. So, And you get to be here from the start. You can talk about being one of the OG listeners of the Blackwood Show, which hopefully gets a little bit of a falling over time. We'll see how this goes. But anyways, this can be a podcast about entrepreneurship, finance, personal development, and then a section I call talking toys that I dreamt up. I'm not saying that this will be the, the format for it forever. I, I'm going to play with it a little bit, kind of see what people like. I'm really hoping to get a lot of feedback about the show. I've got the Blackwood show at gmail.com. So if you want to send me feedback, uh, listener questions, you'll find out is uh, one of my formats. I'm going to be kind of focusing on the show where people submit questions, hopefully about entrepreneurship like I said, finance, personal development, or even if you want me to talk about a certain toy or something that you like, uh, I'll get into that. So why would you listen to me? Uh, I, I definitely fancy myself an entrepreneur and a businessman, right? I really love the process of entrepreneurship. I love opening a new business, uh, inspiring people. I just, I really, that's, I've always gotten off on that having uh, a leadership streak since I was a little kid. And I love the idea of leading people to be the best versions of themselves and something I've been focused on since I was really, really young. Um, I like to think I'm decent at it. You know, I'm 30 years old, so still kind of young in my career, but uh, uh, I'd say I have some financial success, but what I really pride myself on is the success I have with relationships and not to sound like I'm bragging or something, but like my, my personal skill set. I really love leading and inspiring people. I really love um, uh, kind of the way that I approach problems and examining all aspects of it. I think I have a real open mind to hearing out issues and I have a very practical sense of getting things implemented and getting things done. That's treated me well in business so far. I'm hoping that a lot of that can be translated to you guys. I've been super, super blessed. Um, great role models. I'm very close to my family, very close to my father, who's an incredibly accomplished businessman. Uh, he was the president of a division of a fortune 500 company for most of his career, uh, an entrepreneur, you know, we work in business together in a family business. And uh, he's a Harvard Business School grad, for example. For example, he's a um, an alumni of them. So, anyways, uh, I've had just great mentors who really took me under their wing, taught me a lot. A lot of other businessmen that I admire who have taken, you know, been real generous with lunches, phone calls, advice, things like this. And I'm hoping that I can pay some of that knowledge forward. Uh, I really love being a sponge, you know, listening to smart people, absorbing what they say, compiling it, you know, inter interfacing what one smart person tells me with what someone else says, and making kind of uh, a, net, uh, a network of ideas and a network of thoughts that hopefully there's some synergies between them. You come up with some, some really cool and, and implement, implement uh, things that you can implement implantable. I have no idea how to say that word. <laughs> Anyways, you know, hopefully there'll be some practical things that you can implement in your career, in your life, and uh, maybe even your business for those of you who are responsible for a business or an entrepreneur yourself out there who are listening to this. Um, so anyways, it'll definitely be about entrepreneurship. What I do for the majority of my career is I'm an owner and the chief operating officer of a business called Ageless Men's Health. Uh, Ageless Men's Health uh, is a system of medical practices, which we own and operate. Uh, they're specialty medical practice, specifically we're uh, uh, specialists when it comes to hormone replacement therapy and our bread and butter is testosterone replacement therapy for men. So when a man's clinically low on testosterone, we corroborate his symptoms with a third party blood test. And our goal as an organization is to manage him back to the heart of normal, which is typically done with weekly injections on site in one of our uh, 44 locations now. So we're really proud of, of the reach and the uh, um, thousands and thousands of men who trust us every week and come in for their, for their treatment. And I'm super proud of our people. We have the best team, the most thoughtful and caring clinicians, just really incredible people who do uh, really best in class work. You know, they're interested in helping these men with their whole health profile. 
And that's something I'm really proud to be involved in. Uh, it's given me great exposure to business and a lot of <laughs> the entrepreneurship dilemmas, right? I've seen and done it all. I'm going to share some fun stories on this podcast, you know, everything from uh, hiring decisions to uh, financial decisions you have to make, maybe even some fundraising decisions and uh, the structure of your business and kind of what your long-term goals are. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot about the constituents in the in business because I'm a big believer that it goes beyond just investors making money and into all the different uh, stakeholders of a business, right? And, and to me, that uh, really centers around your employees. You know, I'm, I, I think they're the key to our success, you know, is that we're all a team and that, that you have to really take care of the people who are going to take care of your, your clients and going to take care of your customers and take care of you. So you got to make sure that you're generous. You got to make sure you find the best talent that you incentivize and keep them around and keep them engaged. So we'll talk a lot about that on this show. Um, but that's what I've done with most of my career. You know, when I say I'm an entrepreneur that doesn't come without his bumps and scrapes, uh, the very first thing I did in business was I had a patent on a horsepower gauge when I was 15 years old and the patent got stepped on. So I'll definitely talk about that on the show. I imagine, uh, I've launched, let's see, I would say two other businesses that failed. So I'll get to talk about that and all the experiences that comes with that. And actually that'll be, you'll find, we have listener questions on the show. Like I mentioned earlier, I'd love if you guys send in your questions or even just your feedback. Uh, and the one today I jump started with getting my best friend Tyler to give me a, a question. And he asked about, have I had any failed businesses? So we'll get to that later, but I've had uh, two businesses that failed one business. that was kind of fun. It was a patent play as well, but it just didn't really go anywhere. So I'll talk about all those experiences and kind of the ups and downs, what you can take from your failures. Cause although it's corny, I really do think it's true that sometimes your failures are uh, the biggest learning experiences, right? Oh, we'll talk about finance on this show for sure. When I say that, I mean, literally finance. Um, and you know, I, I do want to touch on those aspects, you know, the financial considerations of business. I'm a big stock investor personally. I love paying attention to the markets. Uh, I studied economics at university of California, Santa Barbara. Uh, I was a gaucho, uh, lived by the beach. It was awesome. man. I was a Southern boy going to Cali, you know, just beautiful weather, beautiful, everything out there. Right. But, uh, <laughs> from some of the classrooms because you actually see the water. So did my best not to skip too much class, but I did make it to my economics classes and learned a lot about that. So hopefully I'll get to share some of that knowledge on this show. Um, I, I'm a little worried about this aspect of it. You know, there's obviously politics and current events factor into that part of the show. I don't want to beat a dead horse, you know, being another podcast talking about every aspect of coronavirus or this or that. Um, hopefully this can be a little reprieve for you guys where you can get uh, uh, some distraction, right? A little bit of fun for sure on the show. Hopefully we'll crack up a little bit and hopefully it won't get too deep and dark. I see those things can oftentimes be so toxic, you know, the way the media portrays stuff, uh, the way the media pits us against one another. I really, gosh, I come to resent it in a lot of ways. I, I feel manipulated by it. I feel like, uh, uh, they've been successful at pitting America against itself, but it's really unfortunate. I think there's better ways for us to navigate this, but you're going to talk about finance. You're going to have to talk about things like the coronavirus. You're gonna to have to talk about things like politics a little bit and touch on some of those issues. I'll probably share my opinion from time to time, but I don't want to get into politics. You know, I don't want to get into picking sides. I actually see myself as a decently independent person, very open-minded, uh, especially when it comes to social programs and things like this, and especially when it comes to personal rights and liberties. So, uh, you know, I don't want to get too far into the whole Republican Democrat side of debates or what someone's up to or judging politicians or whatever. Cause frankly, I think as a businessman anyways, putting too much energy into that stuff is wasted. It's probably gonna be the mainstay of advice that I give you guys. Um, but of course we'll have to touch on it, right? Cause the government does something like a 3 trillion stimulus package. It's going to change the way you're going to invest. It's going to change the way you're going to navigate your business and your customers are going to feel that and it's going to change the way you have to approach them. So we're definitely going to talk about some of that stuff on the show. You know, I hope we kind of stay off the finite details of it, the point, the fine points of it. I'm not going to get too mired into the toxic side of it. So when I do approach it, you know, we'll talk about something like the stimulus package instead of talking about the moral impediment, like getting into one side or the other, like, oh, we should have done more because these people were really hurting or we should have done less because we need incentive to get back to work or whatever, right? I'll identify those things and those arguments to you guys and then mostly be talking about the impact and the way to make decisions around those uh, certitudes, right? The fact that those things are happening is out there and I'll identify that what I see is like the key metrics, key issues to you guys, uh, but hopefully not get mired too much into like moral stances or whatever, right? <laughs> Trying to tell you guys who to vote for or some nonsense like that, man. Um, don't, you know, 
don't waste that vote, that's for sure, because we got some interesting leadership in this country right now. I just really want to be proud of everyone, man. It really bothers me when uh, when we get uh, you know people who I think dishonor certain offices and things like this. You know, you really just want people who are kind-hearted and they don't find their way into politics too often. I think there's a lot of practical changes we can make to fix that, but. Anyways, starting to talk too much about something I said I was going to try to avoid anyway. So let's move on to personal development. This is something I really want to focus a lot of the show on. Uh, I'm a big fan of personal development. I'm a big fan of investing in yourself. And I'm a big fan of recognizing that investment. I think too often we look at our bank account and our paycheck too strictly. We don't think enough about our human capital, right? And human capital is basically your skill set and, and in regards to business, the marketability of that. But it's investing in yourself, whether that's through education whether that's through something as simple as reading a book, certainly something I think a lot of businessmen overlook uh, is investing in yourself health-wise. You know, I'm a big proponent of that, especially being in healthcare and something like testosterone replacement therapy where fitness is a big consideration. Um, I'm a huge proponent for health. I've worked out since I was a little kid. I love the confidence it gives you. I love the practical effects it gives you. Just being stronger is cool. You know, being in shape is cool. Being able to do more fun things, getting to play sports, getting to be competitive in that raw way and have that experience. I think that's a really important part um, of life. So I'll talk a little bit about health and what I do in the gym. I'll talk a little bit about uh, diet exercise. I'll talk a little bit about cooking and uh, leisure. That's something I'm definitely good at. <laughs> I always say I'm good at making money. I'm even better at spending it, but I, uh, <laughs> I definitely like to have some fun. I definitely like to cut loose a little bit with friends. I try to keep balancing that, you know, like when we get into finance, we'll talk about personal finance a lot on this show as well. Things like setting out your budget in terms of uh, percentages rather than absolute dollar amounts and you know, principles that you can live by and lending perspective to people about the beauty that is compounding interest which is one of the best things that you can understand when it comes to business in general, especially to your personal investments in the stock market and things like this. So we'll, we'll definitely talk about personal finance on that side of things as well. But on personal development, you know, we're going to be focusing more on yourself, your happiness, because you can't be effective in life if you're not happy. You can't be, you know, the man or woman you need to be to the people who depend on you. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about personal development and then talking toys. This is probably one of my favorite sections. See, I love my toys, right? Uh, I'm a huge uh, watch guy, big car guy. Um, talk to you guys about I don't know, houses, vacations, talk to you about entertainment, right? You know, some of you guys might be interested in uh, everything from shows to clubs, whatever. Like I've got experience in those things. I've got a lot of experience with traveling all over the world, you know, over in Europe and things like this. I say all over the world, man, I haven't done that great a job. I haven't been to like Japan. I really want to go to Japan, go to Tokyo, see what this Hello Kitty thing's all about. Uh, no, go get some proper sushi, right? Go see a culture I've never seen before, something like that. Never been to like Thailand, really interests me. Uh, I've never been to Africa. I have dear family friends from South Africa, and that's a, a really interesting spot to me. A lot going on down there, and I really want to do a, a picture safari. I like photography. I think it'd be really, really fun uh, to go and see like a lion in the wild, right? I always liked lions and kind of th that dominance of them and things like this. Getting to see one in person could be really, really cool. So anyways, uh, I'm not as well-traveled as I'd like to be was the punchline of that little sidebar, but uh, I do know some things about certain places. <laughs> I do know some things, Jon Snow. Anyways, uh, I do know some things about certain places and we can talk about some of that if you all want. Talking toys though, getting back to that, I love watches. That's actually one of the things we're gonna talk about today are mechanical watches. Uh, I know a fair amount about like other luxury items. I have some weird uh, things that I collect, like in particular pens. Like I love fine pens, Mont Blanc. Um, <laughs> definitely got a little collection of Mont Blancs going. So anyways, there's some stuff like that that I'll be able to talk about on the show over time and hopefully we'll have a little fun with the talking toys section. Um, boy, so that's the format of the show, you know, and I think that's the format and why you might want to listen to me. Uh, hopefully I get to get into some compelling content. Hopefully I can, uh, give you guys some good takeaways. And, you know, like I said, I just feel really, really blessed. I've had such great influences my whole life in education, again, in my family and my role models in my friends. I have some of the best friends on planet earth who are just so supportive. They all have big things going on, you know, everything from, owning, uh, advertising companies to being powerful salesmen to, uh, owning, uh, uh, manufacturers and, uh, coffee shops and guys who are successful athletes, you know, the full gamut some really interesting people who taught me some really interesting things over the years. And hopefully that experience will kind of come out in this podcast. Plus it's my favorite thing is to ramble. So this is a great format for me to stop annoying my friends so much. Hopefully I get a little bit of it out of my system. Either that is going to make me way worse. Right. 
Uh, so anyways, that's a little bit about the show that you're getting involved in. Hopefully I haven't run you off yet because we're about to get into the meat of the show now. There's a couple things I want to talk to you guys about. Uh, when it comes to current events and what's kind of what's going on around us, like I said, I don't want to get too mired in coronavirus, especially right out of the gate. Uh, but I do want to talk today about an interesting Wall Street Journal article that I re- read. I'm a big fan of the Wall Street Journal. I really like it. I think um, you got to get your news, unfortunately. I wish the facts could just be injected in my brain instead of getting all the bias and things. And over time, I'll talk to you guys a lot about the different biases that you can find in uh, uh in in your news, right? So the way they frame things, what they highlight, the way they position uh, facts against one another can change your perception of reality and morph you towards one point or another. Uh, It's kind of that classic uh, lies, damned lies and statistics, right? So you can morph polls, you can morph stats to whatever you need them to do. I'm going to point out some of those techniques to you guys. So hopefully you can get better at reading news and uh, being discerning about what's true or what's exaggerated, or at least understanding what the, the, the journalist is trying to guide you towards because most of the time they're biased either subconsciously or in a lot of cases nowadays outright and especially if you're getting your news from uh non-mainstream sources i think it's really important to get an objective lens to look at that news through anyways i really like the wall street journal especially when i compare it to like cnn or fox news or msnbc these these places that are really extreme i think they can be useful but you almost need to like listen and read to both of them to have the opposing extreme points of view and then kind of decide where the truth is somewhere between them right uh, the Wall Street Journal, most people would say, leans a little conservative, um, <laughs> except for Trump, I guess, who thinks it's very liberal. But I like the Wall Street Journal. I think it's a good balance. You know, it's great for financial news. I love their format. Their writing is really good. You'll become a better writer by reading it, I think, because um, you read good books, you read good writers, even online. I think you absorb some of that skill set, some of that vocabulary, and some of that uh, organization way of expressing yourself. But I think the Wall Street Journal is a good, you know, somewhat middle of the road source to rely on. So it's what I read. One article really caught my attention that I want to talk about today is U.S. existing home sales rose 20.7% in June. So the coronavirus pandemic is canceled. The economy is rocking. No, I'm just kidding. But the, uh, yeah, the virus is defeated by, by our housing sales rising. (laughs) That's, that's what's happened in the world, guys. That's what I'm here to tell you on this podcast. No. So they, uh, they rose 20.7% in June, which of course, you know, they're way depressed because of the coronavirus crisis. It actually says in the article, they're 11.3% lower than June a year prior, but this is a really promising bright spot in the economy. And I think it touches on how to position yourself during the coronavirus. Um, I actually bought a house, so I'm very biased about this. I bought a house that I just closed on in the last couple of weeks. I'm living it. There's no furniture just yet. The interior designers are working on that, man. But it's going to be a little bit of a waiting game, apparently. And you get some of these, you know, custom fabrics done and stuff like that. But uh, I'm, I'm bachelor padding it up, even though I have a girlfriend I'm really into. I'm, uh, <laughs> I have a mattress, uh, one couch and my TV set up. And oh, a couple of kitchen stools and two leather chairs I brought from my old house and slammed in the living room. So that's what I'm working with. And my speaker system, of course, I got a Mac speaker system this last year that I love. I got to do a talking toys about Macintosh sometime, man. That stuff. If you guys haven't heard of Macintosh, you should Google it. It's M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H. And they just make some incredible, incredible audiophile stereo equipment, right? So like a cut above, like Bose and things like this. These are like the true audiophiles, the guys who have the ear for, you know, the drop in the violin or whatever. No, I don't have all that, but their stuff sounds incredible. Uh, shout out to LMC is the local guys out here in uh, uh, Scottsdale that set me up with it. They do some incredible work. Anyways, uh, that's all I got in the whole house. And my girlfriend's still putting up with me. So shout out to her for that, I guess. <laughs> but she's been a blessing with getting me all moved in and being patient with me not having any furniture. But I'm in a new house, man. So this article hits uh, near and dear. It's close to home. I upgraded in a pretty big way. The, the new house I bought is more expensive than my old home. I still have the old homes getting listed actually this week. That's been quite the process. I should probably do a podcast about just selling and buying homes alone because there's so much that I can share with you guys and so much to learn. Everything from how to handle inspections to understanding um, you know, who's on your team versus uh, who might, might have different motives in the process that you need to be at least aware of. You know, not everyone's nefarious or trying to hurt you in a deal or something, but you should know about, you know, your realtors working for the deal instead of purely for you getting the best price. Things like that are reasonable, but you find great realtors. You can balance that. And I did. I love my realtors, but uh, you know, stuff like that. I could, I could ramble about for hours. I'll save you that right now. Cause mostly we're talking about the statistic of it going up, but I do want to say that I am biased, right? Cause I bought a house. So I really believe in this part of the sector right now. And I believe in positioning yourself in hard assets like a home. A couple things about your house. 
Compared to stocks, you can't live in your Microsoft stock. You can't live in your Apple stock. So as much as they might appreciate, it's a fun number on a screen. And of course, you can one day you know retire on and take down and sell. So that's a gross oversimplification. But in terms of investments, I love home ownership uh, for this. It's great for a lot of people because they get to deduct, deduct their um, uh, interest from their taxes. So unless you make a certain amount of income, you get to deduct the interest portion of your mortgages from your taxes. So it, it effectively net of taxes costs you less than the equivalent rent. So what I mean by that is if you have a $2,000 a month mortgage or you rented a $2,000 uh, a month apartment, not, not only are you putting equity in your back pocket, because some of that payment is going towards the home ownership itself, you know, you owning the asset, the, the principal of that, of that loan. So you're actually paying some of that uh, same payment to yourself but also you get to deduct the interest portion of that payment from your taxes. So the net effect, what you actually pay at the end of the year for a home becomes uh, less than that $2,000 in rent, both because you're paying your future self and home ownership and equity in the home, but also because uh, you know, your effective net income that year is lowered by mortgage payments. So it's a really cool thing to have in your portfolio. I really recommend buying a home when you're able. Uh, it takes good discipline to save up a down payment. That's another thing in personal finance that can be really good. You know, saving up 20% for most of us is what you need to put down on a home. And that's a daunting task, man. That's a, that's a big chunk of money for a lot of people, but it's a great discipline uh, to, to be putting aside money so that you can afford home ownership. And if it's something you can accomplish in your 20s, I think you're off to a great start, whether that's a condo, whether that's a single family home or um, whatever, whatever you can get your hands on a townhouse. I think it's a great way of investing in yourself. And it's one way to blink and have more money than you might've budgeted for one day, right? Because not only are you not just blowing all your money on rent in the worst case scenario, renting a house from someone else who is getting all those advantages, uh, but, but also you get to live in the house along the way. So that's, that's the point of this. You don't get to live in your Microsoft stock, right? You get to live in your home. I mean, what other investment gives you as much happiness as your home and you get a beautiful house that you love, you know, it's your, it's your squad, man. It's, it's where you can have your friends come have, you know, parties, you can have great times, you have your holidays, all these memories there. And, uh, Microsoft does not let me do that at their headquarters just yet. And I haven't, I haven't asked, but I suspect they'd say no, but, uh, I haven't had my idiot friends over to rage in, in the Microsoft lobby. So I think that, uh, that's something you can uniquely do in your house that you can't in your stock investments or whatever else you might look at investing in a restaurant, blah, blah, blah. So I really love that aspect of uh, a portfolio. It's a pretty conservative investment, at least historically. I mean, the issues with it is it's not liquid. And I'm experiencing that with my old house, right? Because, you know, in order to buy a new house, you either have to sell your house and kind of rent for a period and have all your things in transit and all the extra expenses with that. Or you just have to accept some overlap, which is what I did where I bought the new house. But right now I have more in mortgages than I care to. So it, it's difficult to unlock proper value because the asset's illiquid, meaning it's difficult to sell. You know, it's not like cash where you can just spend it tomorrow. You have to go through the whole process of selling the house and all the headaches that come with that and being patient about it and getting the right price X, Y, Z. But nonetheless, it's a great asset to have because it's conservative. And like I said, you get all the benefits of getting to experience it in a different way than your other assets. So I'm a big proponent of home ownership. I'm a really big proponent of it right now because I believe we're in a hugely inflationary environment. Um, Inflation is basically the way that prices increase over time and eat into your purchasing power. So, uh, you know, the most obvious, and this may be obvious to most of you guys, and especially if you have any background in economics, but a dollar today is not going to be able to buy you as much in 10 years, right? So the concept is you need to be growing your money, outpacing inflation ideally, in order to actually have accomplished anything. If you just put a bunch of, you know, say you put a hundred dollars under your safe, right? Or under your safe, <laughs> a weird place to put hundred bucks. You put it under your mattress. That's a more traditional uh, analogy, right? So put it in the wall, whatever, right? Wherever you want to store it. And you dig up that hundred bucks, 10 years later, you're not gonna be able to buy as much milk or whatever with it, right? So that's the concept of inflation. There's a pose inflation tends to kind of be around 2%, let's say just around numbers for this podcast. So if you invested in something where that hundred bucks grew at 2%, you'd be able to buy the same amount of milk. Now, if you invest in something that outpaces inflation, like the stock market has historically things like this, then you get to buy more than just, you know, the amount of milk you used to buy, maybe even some more milk, might even buy an apple or two, right? So that's the basic concept of inflation. Uh, sorry if that's too pedantic for a lot of you guys, but, uh, one thing that can uh, uh, drive inflation in the United States is $3 trillion created to do coronavirus pandemic relief. Now, you may disagree with that. You may agree with it. You may think they didn't do enough. You may think they did too much. But the reality is that money was created and spent, and it's hugely inflationary, all things being equal. 
uh, interest rates being low is really exacerbating that as well. I think in hindsight, we're looking back at, at a situation of unprecedented uh, inflation. And that's why I'm a believer in hard assets. I think the worst thing you can do, even though people are scared of a recession, typically you would want to be in conservative things like maybe even cash, uh, gold, gold's okay right now, but gold and stuff like this, right? I think you want to hold hard assets because when inflation occurs, they inflate as well, along with your wages, along with the cost of everything. So uh, a house is a great thing to buy in an inflationary environment for that reason. So this is not contrary to popular belief, I think, a terrible time to buy a house. It's a bold time to buy a house, but I think you'll be rewarded for it in the long term because I think we're about to be in a big inflationary environment. And I can't give investment advice on the show. This is not investment advice for entertainment purposes only, right? But uh, that's the way I'm allocating my portfolio is I'm, I'm in stocks in a big way. I'm in, um, obviously I just bought a new home. That was a pretty major purchase for me. And then of course my, my shares in my company that I own. Um, yeah, I don't have a lot of cash in my portfolio right now. I think a little bit of cash is always good. You know, the common knowledge is to have uh, a personal emergency fund that covers X number of months of expenses. I like to have at least six months to a year of all my expenses covered, plus some fund money in cash. So you got to decide what's right for you. I mean, the general consensus on the internet seems to be three months. Some people say six. Uh, that's a good little chunk, right? So that's all your expenses. That's your health insurance. That's your monthly food budget minimum that you need to be able to make. That's your payments on all your debt. So if you have a car, XYZ, that's your rent or your mortgage payments for that period. Uh, you just really want to have that in case you, you hit a snare, in case you have a hiccup, an unexpected thing, especially like you lose a job. Um, you have a health issue that knocks you out of work, XYZ. But outside of that emergency fund, I wouldn't recommend having a lot of cash. And again, not investment advice, even though I just said I wouldn't recommend <laughs> toss it up to me being a newbie podcaster, right? But uh, I think this is a good time to be in hard, hard assets like houses. And I think a lot of people are waking up to that. I think the coronavirus is unique as well because all of us got locked in our homes and we went, boy, I hate this piece of shit. I hate that furniture over there. Why did we ever buy that couch? I hate the feng shui of this room is awful. So they're making changes around their house. You see furniture going through the roof lately, which is a kind of fascinating uh, side effect of this as well. Anyways, so I think people are just getting restless. They're sick of their homes. A lot of people are renting in cities. I can't relate to this. I live in uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, as I mentioned. Um, you know, we're, we're suburbia, pretty much the whole city, right? We have a downtown area and some people live in it, but it's kind of like high rise condos, whatever. Um, not too vibrant of downtown, certainly not like San Francisco, LA, or New York City. And a lot of those people lived in those cities to be close to work. Well, if all of a sudden you're doing work from home, if you're in the financial industry in New York City, and your boss says, we're working from home for six months, if, if you're in uh, San Francisco is having a big way, Google came out today saying they're not going to reopen their offices till what was it? It was like, I should probably have this pulled up before I start talking about it on this podcast. Uh, let's see, Google closes offices, coronavirus, I'll pull it up, right? I got my handy, my handy, uh, dandy laptop pulled up here. Oh, I'm doing a terrible job at finding this though. I want to say, did I see earlier that it was going to be closed until at least next summer? I want to say is what they did too. And they did, I think it was a year because they wanted to give certainty to people if they're planning to homeschool or to move. <laughs> they specifically said if they're going to sign a new one year lease, they wanted them to maybe have it away from the city centers. So there's an exodus from city centers for the first time that I think might be permanent, especially in places like San Francisco that are so tech heavy where people are able to work from home. I think that you may never see people return to living in San Francisco because there's so many downsides to, to living in a city um, like that, in my opinion, anyways. Uh, <laughs> I like San Francisco a lot, but it's a um, very, very expensive place. I mean, people were really compromising on the amount of space they would accept for the amount of money they had to pay. So, you know, you hear crazy stories about people paying thousands and thousands of dollars for a studio apartment where people in Dallas would be scratching their heads saying, why in the world did you pay for that? I got marble floors and granite counters for 1200 bucks a month, 1500 bucks a month. And out in San Francisco and people are paying like 3,500 to split one bedroom apartments or whatever. So, so there's an exodus from cities right now because of that, you know, the work from homes enabling that and people are making some changes about where they live and why, and especially when the benefits of the city are lessened, bars are closed, you know, restaurants are compromised, then there's less reason to be in a vibrant city. You can't have concerts and gatherings and sports and blah, blah, blah. So why not live in the suburbs, you know, grab your loved one and get out there. Uh, especially you got kids and stuff. It's so much easier living in suburbs than in a city. Um, so anyways, I think that's part of what's driving home sales right now is people are looking at that. I think uh, uh, dirt poor interest rates, I'd, I'd be uh, missing part of the story if I didn't mention that. I mean, my mortgage rate is 
crazy low, below 3%, right? And that's, that's unheard of historically. Um, you know, the, the interest rates on homes, I don't even know what they historically float around, but safe to say more than double that, right? Like higher than 6% historically. So these are just crazy low interest rates. People tend to buy like cars, they buy their mortgage payment instead of the price of the home, which of course drives the prices of homes higher. But that's part of why you're probably seeing an increase in uh, prices of homes and an increase of sales as people woke up and had more purchasing power when those interest rates lowered. Also, there's a lot of stimulus going around, you know, like I mentioned that $3 trillion, you're starting to see the first, uh, uh, you know, hairs of inflation from it with this, I think, because what, what you're seeing is that people are able to buy more, their jobs are more secure. Lots of, uh, uh, lots of people got the PPP loans if they own a business and, and made jobs more secure, but also made the ownership of businesses more secure, which is, I think was a great program personally, you know, it might not be perfect and yeah, Yeezy's got it. So your shoes are secure through the coronavirus crisis and Kanye can safely run for the president of the United States of America it goes from uh, hanging out with Trump to taking him on, I guess. But anyways, like, you know, famously he got a loan. Ruth's Chris got a bunch of loans cause they're formatted into smaller LLCs, each of which could apply. Uh, they gave it back because of the, the public pressure. That's an interesting topic too, because you'd be in a real dilemma to be at the top of one of those corporations. Um, you have a fiscal responsibility to your investors to maximize profits in a simple way. Now, your investors can cut you some slack to do the right thing, quote unquote, right? And that's kind of like altruistic investing in some cases to extremes, right? That they might demand um, a certain amount of money donated by a company each year and things like this. But in a minimum, uh, you do have a fiduciary responsibility to your investors to maximize profits. So if there's a, a program that you qualify for, you almost have a financial duty to take it. And sometimes in publicly traded companies, those CEOs can actually be held accountable and liable not just in, in terms of their job, but maybe in terms of personal liability, if they if they are negligent in that capacity, right? So it's a big deal. You have to make sure that you're you're doing the right thing by your business and taking reasonable steps towards making it profitable. So if there's a huge government handout out there that you can qualify for, you know, and you have investors, you might be in a spot where you have to take it, no matter what you think of it morally. Uh, but nonetheless, the consequences of that uh, were a lot of job security for a lot of people who might be home buyers. You know, a lot of small businesses were saved by it. And the guy who's an electrician with two trucks or whatever might go and buy that house because he has that security from the PPP loan. So I'm not totally surprised to see these uh, home sales bounce back. People want houses. Interest rates are low, so their purchasing power is higher. There's an inflationary environment going on. Um, uh, especially with you know, all the extra unemployment benefits and things like that, putting more money in people's pockets and people are sick of their homes. They want something new. You get stuck in your house. You know, if, if you were used to being out of your house, you know, for the majority of the day, except for maybe watching some TV and sleeping, and if you had to stay in it all day, every day and work from it and blah, 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 you might just want change for change's sake. You might not even upgrade, downgrade, whatever. You might just want to be somewhere else. You know, I've been, for me personally, I've been in my house for, how about that? 2013. So seven years I was in my old house. It was just kind of time for a change. So anyways, um, I'm not totally surprised to see this, that the existing home sales rose by that much. Apparently there's still a big constriction in supply. A lot of people aren't putting their house on the market. Uh, there still is a lot of new development, this article was saying, which is really fascinating. Uh, but there's some issues in it as well. See, they mentioned Arizona in here. I want to talk about that since I'm in Phoenix. Let's see if I can find it. So in the Phoenix area, some homes on the market are getting 20 or more offers Crossing my fingers. Like I said, my house goes up for sale this week. I would love to get 20 or more offers. Let's do that. <laughs> the number of homes for sale is limited and buyers are worried about missing out, she said. I'm starting to feel like by this time next year, we won't have any houses under 400,000 in our hotter markets. Might be a good time for you investors out there who are looking at Airbnb properties and things like that. Could be some good demand out there for that in the, in the future. Um, a couple of my employees are really into Airbnb. They're talking to me about it, kind of educating me on it and it, it, they can make some good money at that. Good conservative play. And I do think as people are kind of staying away from hotels, you're seeing a lot of staycations. You got to pick the market, right? Like Phoenix is exploding for it, especially in the first stage of the lockdown because we were a little looser than we are now uh, about what was open. I mean, even like bars and clubs were open in Phoenix for a period. Uh, so a lot of, we had a lot of tourism just because there was uh, more things to do. And whether you agree or disagree with shutdowns, that was just a fact here. 
you know, literally our clubs were open. Our entertainment was open. You could, you know, do all sorts of things. And now is closed. Like movie theaters are closed. Actually, gyms are closed, which I do disagree with. I will get political about that. I think gyms should definitely be open during a pandemic where your best defense is your immune system. Are you joking me? You know, if, if you, if you're, if Pfizer doesn't have a pill for us, if there's no vaccine, then all we have is our immune system. You're telling me you're going to shut gyms. Like, come on. It's just crazy to me. But anyway, so we got a lot of tourism because of that. A lot of people were coming out from California, ironically, into the summer months of Phoenix where it's hot here. Normally it goes the opposite direction. People fleeing Phoenix for California. Certainly I would like to do that in the summer months here where it's literally 117 degrees. Hotter than the surface of the sun. It's man's arrogance that we could build a city in the middle of the desert like Phoenix and have it be this cool. But anyways, so uh, uh, a lot of people are fleeing uh, other states and we're coming here, at least in the early stage of the shutdown where other places are more extreme than Phoenix. So the, the people I knew who had Airbnbs were crushing it, just rented out higher prices than normal. Business was better than pre-coronavirus, which is fascinating. Um, so it might be a good opportunity for those of you who are looking at getting into Airbnbs, especially those price points. It looks like the market's real hot right now. But this is a good uh, sign for the economy. I'm really excited about seeing home sales move. You know, that's when home sales are moving, there's a lot of promise. The builders are going to come off the sidelines. Lots of people are going to have jobs building homes. I've always loved construction for jumpstarting economies. You know, that if you're going to invest in stimulus packages, reinvesting your infrastructure has always been such a common sense way of doing it to me. I really like, you know, building roads, quote unquote, building bridges, whatever, right? But, but, home sales are an extension of that. You build a house, so many people get employed by that action. You know, electricians, plumbers, uh, interior designers, furniture manufacturers, uh, all the nice people in nests or whatever, you know what I mean? Like all these different things get touched on when you, when you build a house that spur a lot of economic activity, create a lot of jobs, X, Y, Z. So I think this is a really promising sign for the economy, especially in a time when there's a lot of darkness. There's some other promising things going on. Uh, we're getting better with treatments. It looks like, you know, remdesivir, uh, made some, some good ways with that. You should Google it. If you're not familiar with remdesivir, uh, hydrochloroquine, I think ended up with some mixed results. It combined with a Z pack was something that a lot of people are looking at and some people swear by it and some people don't like it now, but I read yesterday on Reddit that there's 21 new drugs that in vitro. So in a lab showed or existing drugs, I should say. So drugs that have been around for years and years and are safe on humans already FDA approved for other purposes. 21 new ones showed promise in, in Petri dishes. So in the lab, for uh, countering the coronavirus. So the next step is to do controlled studies in hospitals and things and see if those help patients because it's much more complex to put in humans. So it's not a silver bullet, but we might get better at treating the very sick, which would be fantastic. And then the vaccines are making a lot of progress. We got Pfizer and some German company I can't remember uh, are, are deep into their trials. Moderna, uh, I think that's who it was, Moderna, right? Went to stage three today and popped up the stock market. I did really well in the stock market today because uh, I'm pretty NASDAQ heavy and that's been exploding so far this year. Amazon, man, it's been a lifesaver for me during this. I got a big chunk of my portfolio in that and they're just exploding. Not quite like Tesla, but still exploding nonetheless. <laughs> so anyways, uh, yeah, that's, that's really good to see, you know, that we have all this promise about the virus and now we're starting to see some promise about the economy. I think that if we can get some more safety about the virus and people keep doing some of these, some of these countermeasures like social distancing, using masks, X, Y, Z, you know, that's gotten really controversial lately. I'm going to stay off that topic, but if you're doing things to help stem the, the spread of it, then I think there's some real promise for the economy turning around right now. Uh, I'm getting bullish. I'm saying in the stock market and stuff like that, <laughs> mark this date. Maybe, maybe I'll learn to regret this when I'm listening to my first podcast again, six months from now, but I'm feeling pretty good about things. I don't know if you pick up on that, but I'll knock on wood. I have no idea. By the way, I have no idea what this microphone's picking up. I bought this, uh, set up from uh, Sweetwater, which is a really cool website for getting, uh, um, all sorts of, you know, I bought guitars from them and stuff like this. They do a lot of sound equipment. So I bought like a little mixing board for this podcast, trying to figure everything out. So excuse me if there's some background noise. I got my phone on the desk here, which is probably not smart in hindsight and people texting me or whatever, but I'm starting to figure out about some of the sound production. I'll get better at it over time and get better at speaking in the mic and controlling, you know, my voice and stuff like that. So anyways, that's a little bit about us existing home sales increasing. The coronavirus is canceled. Home sales beat it. I'm excited, man. That's, that's pretty cool. Um, let's see. Talk a little bit about personal development, man. What have I been doing lately? I've been doing some more cooking since I moved to my new house, which has been a lot of fun. been cooking with my girlfriend who makes a mean salad for sure. And she's a really good baker. She does, ooh, banana bread. 
The only thing she doesn't put icing on banana bread yet. I got to talk to her about that. I got to steer it towards goodness. You guys ever had buttercream icing on banana bread is like church. It's so good. Um, but anyways, so we've been doing some cooking together. I've been firing up some steaks with the boys over the weekend. And I invited my friend Henry. So it ended up tequila shots too. Tequila and steak don't go well together, man. I don't know if I dig that, but we ate a bunch of steak and had some fun drinking, hanging out at the house, hanging in the pool. You got to get a little R and R man. You got to stop from going crazy. You got to tune out of the news. You got to hang with your boys, hang with your friends, boys and girls, right? You got you to do some fun stuff. Treat yourself to, I don't know, something, right? Spend some time with your loved ones, get into a fun debate about something that isn't politics, right? I went to a bachelor party this weekend in San Diego. That was a lot of fun. A really good guy that's getting married. I won't say his name for privacy reasons on the podcast here, but uh, he has just, you know, great people tend to surround themselves with great people, right? Like that theory that you are the five people you spend the most time around. Well, he surrounded himself with just great guys. So I was talking to a veteran about, uh, about war considerations and stuff and philosophy. We're talking books. We're talking, uh, you know, the economy. We're talking about everyone's different jobs and their careers. One guy's crushing it in Northern California and home sales. Another guy started a CBD company. He was really fun to talk to. There's this new thing called CBN. If any of you guys listen to the podcast or into CBD, apparently CBN is on the rise. It's supposed to knock you out and make you real sleepy. And screw it, I'll plug his company. It's like Sleepy Bear, I want to say is what it was called. He had some cool uh, um, uh, packaging with it too. And I'd be remiss not to plug uh, one of my best friends, Chris Dunwoody, owns a company called Euphoria CBD, which I love. We actually white label it into my clinics, meaning that like we put our own brand on it and sell it out of my clinics. But uh man, it is an incredible product. I can't sleep without it now. Actually, I was in one of my clinics earlier and picked up two bottles of it and trying to make sure I catch up on some sleep. Um, but that's Euphoria CBD, man. U-F-O-R-I-A, I think. He does a great job with marketing too. If you type him in Instagram, you'll find all sorts of promotions from crazy influencers and celebrities and stuff. So uh, check that out. But anyways, so get to cooking, man. That's what I've been doing. I've been loving cooking. You know, expand your horizons a little bit. Do some simple stuff. But uh, try a new recipe. Do something like that, man. That that really is relaxing. There's like some, uh, it's because you're unplugged too. You know, instead of being buried in your phone or something like this, just get in front of the grill, get in front of your stove and doing something cool. It's a little bit creative at times if you don't follow a recipe super rigidly like me. And then you get to do it for your loved ones, you know, feed them. And it's not that hard. People get like intimidated. Excuse me. People get intimidated to start trying to cook, but I really find it relaxing. I love it. And it's very rewarding, especially you cook for some loved ones who give you some love back. That can be a really cool thing. Um, exercising, man, that's been difficult. I got a friend who owns a PT practice that had a gym attached and he's been letting me work out in there. Arizona shut down their gyms, which I've not been shy about saying, I think that is so stupid. Um, the only thing that we have to fight this right now for sure is your immune system. Boost your immune system. Take your vitamins, kids. Eat healthy. Drink a little less, man. Alcohol slams your immune system. And I'm a hypocrite about that. I, I, I'm not, I don't shy away from, the, uh, from, from cocktails. <laughs> I was about to say the occasional cocktail, but that probably would have been an exaggeration. I do not shy away from cocktails. And uh, that's a good thing to moderate a little bit. You'll find yourself feeling a lot better, sleep better, a lot healthier. That's a huge boost to your immune system. But take care of yourself, man. Uh, and exercise is a big one of those. That's hard here in Phoenix. It's like 110 degrees most days, 105 degrees. And they shut down our gyms, which I just don't get. Some of them have loopholes or staying open if they're like exercise studios. And I'm proud of them. Viva la resistance. But uh, yeah, I think that's a big misstep by our Governor Ducey. I think that he should really reconsider opening those. He lumped them in with uh, a bunch of other things that he closed that maybe are a little bit more high risk. But people kind of know the risk of this thing at this point. Kind of make our own decisions. The the asymptomatic spread is worrisome, but I've seen, seen conflicting things about that. You know, does it live on surfaces? For example, does UV light kill it? And it appears yes outside anyways, <laughs> not when you shine it into your body or whatever, uh, the president suggested, but yeah. So anyways, um, there's, a. Uh, some good measures you can take. But the only thing we know for sure is, is protecting your own immune system. Young, healthy people are not getting too laid up by this virus. Occasionally they do. It's, it, it's a mean little bug, you know, being connected to clinicians and things. You need to take this thing serious. Even some young, healthy people I know got really, really laid up by it when they got it. You know, 14 days, of, literally some of the days crawling around their home. No exaggeration. Like really, really sick. You know, you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy type of thing. And of course, it's so sad seeing people pass from, especially our elderly. I think we, we could do a much better job of protecting those who are at risk of this thing. But I think it needs to get more targeted. And I don't think it's helpful to close the gyms for that reason. You know, the, given that it's the only thing that can protect us for sure is our immune system. 
Those things should be open. Anyways, that's my little rant. You should be exercising. I found a gym to do it in. There's so many great workouts you can find online. Personal trainers are getting really creative about this, you know, doing virtual workouts together. A bunch of my friends are into uh, Peloton and that exercise mirror. That's a really cool product. I personally don't use it because I'm not a big cycler, but um, yeah, a lot of them do. and They really love it. You know, it kind of gets that competitive aspect into your home, makes it a little more entertaining. God, I hate cardio. I used to play basketball back before that was forbidden by my state. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love getting out and getting some exercise and getting some competition. So maybe the Peloton's a cool way to do that safely and remotely. Jeez, how smart are those guys feeling? They already had a tidy little business. They had just gone public before all this and they have just exploded. Let's look at Peloton. Let's see what their stock's at. This will be interesting. I haven't looked at this yet. So Peloton stock, I don't know their ticker. And when you're in Google, if you type in the dollar sign and then you know a ticker, it'll pop right up with the stock information or else you can always type in the name of the company and then stock and that will normally have it pop up. So here's Peloton. It's up 3% today. So I picked a good day to look, I guess. Uh, year to date, started at 29.74. Today it's at 63.68. So it has doubled. And this is before the crisis. You're talking in January 2nd, they're only $29. So that's, they, they were pretty flat during the crisis. This would have been a great investment. Market cap, 18.04 billion. Are you joking? Jeez, $18 billion. Gosh, to those of you who aren't too into finance, that is a crazy market cap. The market cap is the total value of the corporation. So shares outstanding multiplied by share price gives you market cap. I hope, because I just said that so authoritatively. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so the market cap's the size of the company. And uh, um, $18.04 billion is insane. I remember when Facebook was exploding through that back when I was younger. Everyone was blown away by that market cap for them. Obviously, they're huge now. Let's see what Facebook's market cap is. This is going to not show you how big that market cap is, because theirs is going to be huge. This is very atypical. Their market cap, $665 billion. Still, you think Peloton's worth, what is that? Let's say 18, so 665 divided by 18, round numbers. Peloton can't be worth 137th of what Facebook is. I don't know if I like that stock investment. I mean, I, don't, I haven't researched Peloton personally. That seems like a huge multiple right now to be dealing with. Anyways, I'm rambling. I, sh I should have done more research about that before I said it. But what a great stock to have invested in earlier this year. I mean, obviously the market came towards them and they got to be positioned for long-term success. Apparently a ton of it, that market cap has priced in. <laughs> but uh, good on them, man. I'm proud of them. Uh, but anyways, yeah, so find some stuff like that, man. Exercise, um, work out a little bit. Definitely eat clean and cook. Uh, you get a little zen about you about that. It's almost like meditation. You do it right. So definitely take care of yourself during the coronavirus. That's what I'm trying to focus on. Like I said, a little R&R &R never hurts either. You cut loose with your friends a little bit, even if it's in some unhealthy ways. You know, sometimes the good feels of a little unhealthy behavior can outweigh the direct consequences of it within reason, I should say. Um, but have a little fun with your friends. Do, do something for you, you know, cut loose a little bit. Anyhow, let's get to the listener question. So we got a quote unquote listener question. No one's listened to anything yet because as of recording, I haven't put out a single episode. But my fake listener question of the week is from my best friend, Tyler. Tyler's a real accomplished guy. He's in medical sales now. Uh, worked his way through uh, the entertainment industry, specifically like in nightclubs here in Phoenix and, and grew to be a manager and an owner of one. Uh, it, like had an equity stake in, in one of the clubs he managed. And he's just done a really good job transitioning into sales and finding a lot of success. He's a really smart, really kind-hearted guy. I really admire him, really. I just said really like eight times. So this is where I'm gonna get better at this, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know if I'm too... Am I too close to this mic? Or now am I too far away? Yeah, I need to figure this out. Anyways, I probably should not be doing that during the podcast, but you guys get a little stream of consciousness on this show too. It's free of charge. Anyways, uh, so Tyler said, have you ever had a business that failed? If so, how did you nav? If so, how did it help you navigate either investing or starting a new one? Great question. You know, a lot of people want to fake a lot of success, right? You know, certain prominent people in our society are uh, <laughs> accused of that often, let's say not to venture into politics too deep. It rhymes with President Stump. Anyway, some people think that he exaggerates his wealth and lots of successful people do that. Lots of unsuccessful people do that. Famously called the $40,000 millionaire. Might drive a sports car they can't afford. But anyways, 
I think it's really good to be open about your failures, both for yourself and for what you can learn from them, but also because it's human, man. People take you more serious when you're open and when you're real with them. Uh, some of you very real about one of my failures is right when I got out of college and with uh, my, my father and, and our business partner in Ageless, we, we founded a business called Polish the Dental Spa. Slickest branding in the world, man. It was a really cool business. You might be wondering, Taylor, what is a dental spa? Well, I'm glad you asked because you're a captive audience. and I'm going to tell you what a dental spa was. I'm going to say was because it's closed now. But a dental spa was uh, a place where you could go and see a dental hygienist, but there was no dentist on site. So you could go and get your teeth cleaned and whitened, quote unquote, polished, right? Uh, without the threat of getting dentistry that day. Now, if we saw something we didn't like in your mouth, if you were worried about a lesion, if you're worried about maybe a potential a lesions like a, a cancer in a lot of cases, right? But if you're worried about something like that, you're worried about uh, receding gum lines, which is a health issue for a lot of people. You can get infections and stuff like that. And they need what's called scaling and root planing, SRPs, which is a big upsell in dental offices and a place where they make a lot of money. But that's where they actually clean plaque out from underneath your gum up against your teeth, which is truly disgusting to me and invigorating some dental hygienists. If you know them, they love getting stuff off teeth, uh, as their profession would suggest. Good ones like that anyways. I guess the bad ones would hate it. Anyways, so Polish the Dental Spa was a place where you go get your teeth normal, cleaned, and whitened without the threat of dentistry occurring. But if we saw something we didn't like, we'd refer you to a dentist. And that was the basic concept. It felt kind of like the dry bar. You could have a membership where you could jumpstart with a full cleaning and then get once a month the polished part of the cleaning. And that's the part where they take the powerful toothbrush that's hooked up to the chair, a little bit of gritty paste, and they polish your teeth. And that's what gives you that nice, that nice like tooth feel after a teeth cleaning that so many people love, right? And if you did that often enough, oftentimes you didn't have to get the scraping, which I personally fucking hate. I hate that when people have like the nail on chalkboard. Yeah. Hopefully I did a good job of recreating that noise for you guys. When I listen back to this podcast, that'll probably be something I never tried to do again. Anyways, so uh, that's what the business did. And, you know, it was a tough start. We did a great job of the branding. We hired the same people who did this uh, franchise out here called True Food. Uh, we hired their um, interior designers for it and they just did a brilliant job, man. They, they thought about what was in the ceiling and instead of just looking up at this blank ceiling or whatever, or a bright light, you looked up at like this, this wood overhang that was over the whole thing. It was open air with a glass partition separating you from other people and uh, very comfortable, natural feel, polished concrete floors, uh, planters at your feet with nice looking plants growing out of them and a really, really cool design that was very fresh and forward thinking. We picked True Food. If you guys aren't familiar, maybe not all my listeners are near a True Food, but they're a chain. Uh, it was started by a local guy uh, named Sam Fox. He owns Fox Restaurant Concepts here in town. Owned, I should say, because he sold it just before the pandemic, fortuitously. Uh, really sharp business guy. They're kind of like um, uh, maybe like upper, middle, lower, high-end uh, restaurants, I would say, is kind of his bread and butter. And then some fast casual now with a concept called Flower Child. Um yeah, I don't know. Maybe a meal there, like for two, would be like eighty bucks, depending on the alcohol you got. You know, what I mean, like not nothing, like like kind of a, a cut above Olive Garden, but below like a fine steakhouse type thing. Uh, anyways, wildly successful guy. He comes up with multiple concepts and prints them out. And one of his biggest hits is called True Foods, which had early investment, I think, from P.F. Chang's, and then recently he sold the whole group to Cheesecake Factory. That's who it was. Who had to be regretting the timing of that because it was like mid to late last year. And obviously the restaurant industry has just been decimated by the coronavirus. But good for Sam Fox, I guess. Anyway, so he um, he had this concept called True Food. It was forward thinking. It was like healthy restaurants, you know? I think they started in like 2010-ish, somewhere in there probably. Uh, so this is before like the health craze that we know today was in full swing. Kind of forward thinking. He pulled it into Phoenix. Maybe there's some of that in California and those types of markets, but there wasn't much out here and uh, just blew up, did a brilliant job of it. And we loved the design of the restaurants. were really fresh, really cool looking. So we used to eat at those restaurants a lot and we loved the design and pulled it into polished. Anyways, I'm, I'm getting sidetracked. There's a beautiful space. All the branding was on point. The concept's cool, you know, is from a customer standpoint, but what I underestimated about it is how much people hate getting their teeth cleaned. <laughs> they begrudgingly do it to make sure they're healthy, I think. Um, but it's not really something they look forward to. And the biggest thing I underestimated getting into that business is that dental hygiene is actually a loss leader for a lot of dental practices. They use it, you know, free cleanings and maybe even free teeth, tooth whitening in certain cases to, um, uh, get you into an office. 
and as so that they can upsell X, like X number of people have a cavity, they drill, they bill your insurance, get, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars per cavity, maybe 800 bucks or whatever, right? If they fix enough things. So, so, you know, they're making thousands of dollars on these patients on average each year, but some people don't need anything besides the cleaning, right? So the cleaning's like a loss leader. Some of them literally give it away to get you in the practice or else it's not a big margin item for them if they are. So what we thought was gonna happen is we're gonna have a huge volume, but we didn't have a great strategy for getting that volume of patients. We thought word of mouth and being such a cool concept, such a cool brand, such a cool build out, we thought those would be advantages, but really they just became sunk capital costs without a great marketing plan. And I think that's where we stumbled. I should have done like a early advertising before the doors open. Instead, we just opened, we are next to a Starbucks. So we paid high rent, hoping that would get us some exposure. We put funny ads in the, uh, in the windows facing Starbucks, the best of which actually ended up in a dental, uh, marketing, uh, conve uh convention. I guess you would say like someone loved the ad so much when she was driving through and getting her Starbucks, she spoke about it at a speech she was giving to a dentist about how to market their practice. And what it said was, 50 shades of gray belongs on your nightstand, not on your teeth. <laughs> I thought that was creative. Credit to my pops for that. Jason came up with that one. <laughs> Excuse me. So anyway, so um, that was the extent of the marketing we did. And I think that was a big misstep. We didn't get that initial pop of patients that we could get coming back. But also we underestimated how much people hate getting their teeth cleaned. Even when it's a better experience like that, um, uh, you know, they don't really come back. It was difficult to recall patients. The people we got to do it monthly really stuck with it, which was cool and a great source of recurring revenue, but it, it did not grow as fast as we wanted it to. Another thing about that business is that it was at a time when dental hygienists had a monopoly on whitening teeth. And what I mean by that is that if you wanted to whiten teeth, uh, you had to do it in a dental setting, a professional setting. Now, as most people know, you can get it at a tanning salon and all these random places. But back then to have a certain concentration of hydrogen peroxide, which is what whitens your teeth, it had the potential to burn your gums and had to be controlled by a professional. Well, Supreme Court ruling struck that down. And that's why you see on Instagram, perhaps all these ads where you can do at home whitening kits that really work. I mean, they're fantastic products, but they don't need supervision. Back then they needed supervision. That was part of our competitive advantage, our moat, if you will. And it's very important when you're starting a business to think about your competitive advantage and to think about your moat. If you don't have something that makes you special, that makes you protected in what you're offering the public, then you can really get in trouble like we did. Because when that Supreme Court ruling came along saying that anyone can whiten teeth and all these online people who sell them and stuff like that are totally fine, uh, we just got killed. That was our big margin item. And that's that really took the cherry off the top. And we ended up uh, selling out the practices to dentists and things like this. Um, so anyways, that was, a, that was a failure I had. Another failure that was there that I didn't see in that business was the regulatory environment. Um, particularly dentists and other professionals that require licenses are very protective. And you have to be careful about this. Those dentists were not gonna let up, let, let uh, their supervision and their involvement in any act of dentistry go easily. So we had lots of complaints to the dental board against us. And we spent a lot of time on our heels defending it. I wish I had had more uh, balls in hindsight about it and stood up a little bit for it because it's not that crazy what we're doing. We actually were doing x-rays free of charge for our patients. Because the risk is if you don't have a dentist evaluate every patient that comes through, you might miss something serious for a patient like cancer or something like that, God forbid, right? But dental hygienists are trained in how to do these oral screens and can generally catch it or something like that. Every single patient was reviewed remotely, both with pictures or like a, a video stream of the inside of their mouth. Like we did like a little, oh, what's it called? It's like a intraoral camera, I think is what they call them. But it's a high grade camera that you could see all their gums and see their teeth. Uh, and then also x-rays. And then that was reviewed by a dentist remotely. And even so, all these people complained, how can they not have a dentist on site? Well, we're doing telemedicine basically before our time. Teledentistry, if you will, it was kind of wild. Uh, but it enabled dental hygienists to kind of run their own practice and to practice within their scope of cleaning teeth and whitening them. And I didn't think it was that crazy, but these people such a big fuss about it. I had to respond to official letters of inquiry from the dental board that came and like toured the facility. It was such a big distraction for my people and it really broke their spirit because they were being accused by their board and not really directly accused, but like the implication is that we might be doing something wrong and they're scared of losing their licenses, rightfully so. So you have to be careful about the re regulatory environment that you step in. We had a lawyer give us advice that was clean starting into it, but I was also young in my career and I'm really dismayed to report to you guys People aren't always good at their jobs. <laughs> might be evident to you guys now, but we had a shitty, excuse me, we had, we had the, the not top shelf lawyer tell us that this was a totally clean way of structuring the business and that we probably wouldn't have any issues. And then sure enough, we had a ton of issues. Not totally their fault. You know, they can get these things wrong and they're at the end of the day, handicapping and anything's possible with regulators. 
But uh, yeah, it was an interesting little business that way. So what I learned from it, I learned you need to be really careful that you have a product that people really want. People don't really want their teeth cleaned. You gotta make sure you have a product that they really, really want. That is best done if you are the first customer of your business. That is how my family business, Ageless Men's Health, got launched. And I think why we're so successful is that my father and our business partner were patients one and two. You know, they, they were trying to find low testosterone treatments that were adequate um, for themselves. And that was how the business was born, was through their own experience and frankly, the lack thereof, especially practices for testosterone and for men. And that was why Ageless Men's Health was founded. So with that in mind, being, being the customer gives you the best experience about what you would want. Uh, so that's huge when you're starting a business. Make sure that there's a need because if people don't like what you're doing, it doesn't matter how well you do it. It doesn't matter how slick your brand is. It doesn't matter how great your people were because I had all those things at Polish the Dental Spa besides maybe the name, because people were confused all to hell and back about what the dental spa was. They thought they'd get massages while they get their teeth clean, which might've been a better model in hindsight. <laughs> but anyways, make sure you have a product that people want. Warren Buffett famously said, if you want to be a great businessman, get in a great business, get in something that has great margins like medicine, um, get into something where you have a competitive advantage and get into something that people want, people need. That's where the best businesses are. So be careful about what you launch, be the first customer, you know, make sure that you really like uh, what you do and make sure that you would, you would go to your own business as a customer. Cause over time I stopped getting my teeth cleaned as often as uh, I probably should. So even I got done with whitening my teeth or whatever, it was just, it was the wrong thing to found in hindsight. Be careful about regulatory environments and make sure you really, really understand them, know what you're stepping into. And part of being connected to an industry before you launch in it is you would know things like the fact that uh, dental hygiene is a loss leader for practices rather than a profit center for a lot of uh, dental practices and that they have higher margin things they're trying to hook customers into. Knowing that core thing about dental offices would have made us much more successful. And finally, what I regret is I wish I had pivoted. You know, I should have just slapped a young dentist who is up and coming, salesy, whatever, into that practice, taken 20% of, of his uh, profits each year and let him practice out there. It'd be a tidy little business to this day. I might've been able to sell and instead I just, you know, fire sold it. And that was a bad experience as well. So don't be afraid to pivot. You know, when you, when you find out you're wrong in a business, make sure you're wrong. Don't pivot too early. Don't pivot too often, but always have a backup plan like that. That was our backup plan. That was my backup plan was to put a dentist in there. I just didn't execute on it for whatever reason. And that could have been a better story, could have been a better investment, could have yielded something instead of costing me money. Um, and that was a lot about what I learned uh, from, from that experience. Uh, what I didn't have a shortage of was great people, enthusiastic people. We had all the best equipment. We had a slick brand. We had a beautiful space. And those things won't make up for those core things I just described. The single biggest thing you can do is meet a customer's need. And that should be the core question before you launch any business. So that's what I learned from that. And I'll tell you, having a failed business was one of the best experiences of my life. Um, you know, you learn a lot about yourself. Uh, you, you learn that you can stumble and fall and still get back up and still be successful. That's a huge thing when it comes to resilience and your other future endeavors. Uh, and you learn you're not invincible just because you're good at one thing. You know, we had Ageless Men's Health and it was a successful business at that point. Ageless was founded in 2007. We, we founded Polish in like 2013, late 2012. Um, and, and, being exposed to that failure, you know, being good at ageless didn't make us great at everything. So you got to kind of stay in your lane. There's something you see a lot with entrepreneurs too. You know, some guy will make a ton of money in housing developments or something. And then all of a sudden he's producing rap music in Memphis, Tennessee. That literally happened to one of my neighbors. I'm from Memphis for my listeners who don't know me, which is probably not too many of you on this first podcast. I bet this is mostly my close friends listening to this right now. But uh, anyways, you know, literally one of my neighbors, really successful guy, Every other day, it seemed like he had a different Lamborghini. Literally, he had like four Lamborghinis simultaneously in his driveway, Rolls Royces, blah, 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 a jet hanger. And he was developing houses and really successful at it. Uh, oh, the other thing he did was really fascinating. This is cool, actually. So he went to primarily FedEx. And when they were getting to be a bigger location, and FedEx was growing at the time, doing lots of expansion, he would buy their IT equipment. And then he would actually sell it back to smaller FedEx locations at a profit. So he's like an IT solutions clinic, but he was primarily buying it from bigger 
locations and selling it to smaller ones was my understanding of it, which seems crazy. Maybe I have an incomplete understanding, but entrepreneurial guy, super successful, but then he started over leveraging. He got really deep into housing development. Like I mentioned, it was good for a second, but then 2008 hit. I think it really hurt him. He's doing some weird stuff, like trying to produce rap and stuff like that. Um, I think the moral of the story there is to stay in your lane and to stay conservative. Don't get too much leverage. If I had been too leveraged when I started this polished location, if instead of doing two of them out of the gate, I had done 10, it could have really hurt me financially and, and prevented me from being as successful at Ageless and investing as much back into that as we needed to. So don't get over leveraged and stay in your lane. And something as subtle as being in healthcare, but not being in dentistry can be enough out of my lane for me to get blindsided by certain realities of it. And that's what I learned. But also you can't be scared. You know, those things like really the big bet there was that we knew all those things to some degree, we just underestimated them. So you're going to be wrong sometimes. Don't be afraid to be wrong. Don't be afraid to fall down. Just make sure you get back up. That's what I learned from that experience. So anyways, that's the first podcast guys. I, uh, I had a lot of fun talking about these things. You know, actually, if you guys aren't too sick of me, what I would like to do is talk about this Paddock Philippe. So I uh, I love me- mechanical watches. They're just so cool to me. You know what? I'm actually going to cut this out. It's already been an hour. That's going to be plenty of time. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you for coming to the first podcast. I hope you enjoyed. I hope this game refines over time and gets a lot better. I hope that you guys get involved. So uh, if you will, send me some uh, send me some listener questions. I'd love to hear from you. Show at gmail.com is where you can submit that. It's theblackwoodshow at gmail.com. But thank you for taking the time. I know there's so many ways for you to entertain yourself, whether you're on a drive, whether you're listening at home, whether you're working out, whatever. I really appreciate you taking the time to tune in to me. And hopefully, uh, hopefully I'm impressed you enough to come back. So thanks again, guys. Thanks for tuning into the Blackwood show. See you soon.